Get ready to rumble. Shilling Show Unleashed on the Seven Thunders Media Network. Former city councilor, husband, father, and community watchdog. Your host, Rob Schilling. Welcome to the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes Jivan Fleet, a political analyst, a defender of liberty, and author of the new book, Mao's America. A survivor's warning. It's a harrowing story. Jivan Fleet, thank you for joining us on the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Well, thank you so much. But I have to say, I'm not a, a political analyst. I, I was nobody. I was just a mom and and work and and then by accident I become uh, activist. You know, I never got involved politically before I went to the uh, Loudoun County School Board and to deliver that one minute speech. Well, it was a speech that really changed things in Loudoun County and far beyond as you achieved a platform for your message, which is so important. And I'm really glad that it happened that way. You grew up under uh, fairly harrowing circumstances, although probably you didn't realize it first off. Tell us your earliest recollections of, of growing up in China and what things were like at the time. Um, when the Cultural Revolution started, I was in my first grade. And all I remember was like everything changed overnight. It's almost like a, a tornado hit. And uh, I was uh, in school learning kind of like usual. And then all of a sudden, everything changed. Administrators were ousted by kids. Yeah, I was in elementary school. And so school, so one day I went to the classroom and there was a message on the blackboard by my teacher said, no school for two or three days, I think three days, and then lasted for two years. Mm. So school was uh, closed. Everything else pretty much shut down. So as kids, and we have nothing to do. My parents, everybody's parents were busy doing the same thing in their workplace. Every day we went to the street. So we get to see a cultural revolution unfolding. Basically, the Red Guards destroy everything. Struggle session of whoever was denounced. That almost every day, sometimes parade them in the truck. Sometimes just have rally and and denounce those people. I witnessed the struggle session for the um, governor of my province. And then eventually things get violent. Two years after uh, the Cultural Revolution, the, uh, not even two years, probably a year and a half, the uh, Red Guards managed to uh, take down all those in power because that was the real goal of the Cultural Revolution. Mao wanted to destroy everything and of his own government, his own party, to place people that he trusted to replace them. So after that, the uh, uh, Red Guards started to fight each other they thought that they would be given power and it eventually become so violent, almost like a civil war. But of course, Mao did not, uh, never had that plan to give power to those Red Guards. When their uh, work was done, when their usefulness was over, they all sent to the countryside and exiled to labor camps. I don't think we 
in America have a, a very good understanding of this period of China's history and really what Mao's motivation was. Um, I'm guessing that he was a purely evil man and just was seeking power. But was there something more? This is something that the Americans do not know. But in general, Americans do not uh, know anything about communism. They were never taught. And it was by design. Yes, there is a more. The, to understand uh, the Cultural Revolution is to understand communism. And because um, the Mao and his, uh, uh, and his army took over China in 1949, they were in power. But communism, there is a never a stable structure. There's always infight. Around 1958, Mao uh, launched his campaign called Great Leap Forward. I don't know whether you heard about it. And that was a disastrous campaign, ended in the Great Famine that killed up to 50 million Chinese. And the outside world knew nothing about it. But after that, his uh, reputation and his leadership was questioned because that was a big deal, even for the communists who killed millions and millions. But that was a big deal. So he was forced to step down. And, uh, and let uh, his uh, right-hand man, the president of China, Liu Xiaoqi, to run the day-to-day the government. So he did not like it. And that was uh, now 1962. Mm. And he did not like it a bit. He won his power back. Not his power back, but he won absolute power. That was uh, uh, the reason for the Cultural Revolution. He started the Cultural Revolution four years later in 19. 19- 66. This time he did not have to use his army. This time he has a better army. Those were the kids. Those were the uh, college kids and, uh, and secondary school kids, including some of the elementary school kids, like uh, uh, 10, 12. I was too young to be part of it. And what they do, that's the question, what they do. They first want to take down the government his own government. Mm. He wanted to take down those uh, in power and replace with his own people. He also wants to destroy everything that is old, that is tradition, that is Chinese. That was uh, the Chinese cancer culture. And uh, it's called destroy the four olds. Old tradition, old idea, old uh, custom, and old habits. All have to go. Statue, have to be uh, dismantled. Uh, names, traditional names, like street names, institution names have to change. The food, brand, everything, just like today. And why? They want to destroy the past, uh, erase the past, so that his ideology, which is Maoism, will be the supreme ideolo- ideology of the land. This is so troubling, as you mentioned, the parallels to today, and I I do want to get to that. But there's one other thing that I want to talk about, which is also happening today, although perhaps not quite to the extent you reference. And you talk about it in the book where uh, students were brutalizing teachers. You talk about one teacher who was surrounded and spat upon and kicked and everything else. How did this come to pass that these students were empowered like that? Because I certainly yes. do see parallels to today in America. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Like I just uh, said, that um, uh, the Mao used the young and the indoctrinated young as his new army to overthrow his own government. So the young people were told that it is justified 
to rebel, rebel against anyone in authority role. And for the kids, who uh, were the ones in authority role? The first one came to their mind is, of course, teachers, right? They, they were kids. They were students. So they go, they went after the teachers first and principals or, or anyone in school. That's their starting point. And then the first killing uh, by the Red Guards were, bung, were done by a bunch of girls in the middle, uh, middle school in Beijing. They tortured and, uh, and killed their principal. And after that, nothing happened, no consequence, just like today, no consequences, then killing becomes commonplace. And then they went to the larger society, killed people, and uh, who were deemed as uh, uh, undesirable, politically undesirable, and a lot of people in power. There's a, a, a similar thing as defund the police. It's not defund, but dismantle of the criminal justice system. So everything was destroyed and there's nothing to stop the uh, red guards. All you need to do is have a badge on your arm and you are empowered to do whatever. Just like today. Just like today. If you have a BMM uh, or, or, or sign or Antifa, you're free to go and do whatever, no consequences. You at some point were able to escape and come to America and I'd love to hear how that happened, and why you sought to come here. The Cultural Revolution stopped, was over when Mao died in 1976. And so he brought China to the blink of total collapse. Actually, I would say it's already collapsed. It was like there's no economy. Everyone was divided politically at, at every level, you know, neighbors against neighbors, uh, co-workers against each other and family and the family yeah the children against parents parents against children it's just like today's america it was and the bank uh, the uh, the party itself was bankrupt no one believed in communism in, anymore it was in such a sad state that the successor uh, of mao Deng xiaoping realized he had to do something and his principle was Black cat or white cat, as long as cat is mouth, it's a good cat. So he brought in foreign investment. He opened China up, and that's when I was able to go to college. During the Cultural Revolution, it was all, all closed, and eventually come to America. And so the capitalism revived a CCP from its deathbed. That's what really happened. So you came to America. What were you anticipating and what was the reality when you arrived? And when I uh, was in college, that was, uh, I went to college in 1978 and graduated in 1982. During that four years, China was opening up fast. So I remember, and in the second year when I was in college, it was possible to listen to openly, listen to uh, shortwave radio, such mm. as BBC and uh, Voice of America, and for us to learn English. That was offense that punishable by death wow. during the Cultural Revolution, to listen to the enemy. So eventually it opened up and then we were able to get uh, information from outside the world. I think in the second or third year of my college, we start to have foreign teachers come to teach English on campus. 
And the first group came is a group uh, is a family from uh, Canada. So all this brought new information and opened up um, the world. And we realized that what we were taught before were all lies. America was not an evil country. West is actually, they enjoy something we never even dreamed of, freedom. By the time I graduated from uh, uh, college, I know that I want to go to America. I know I want to see America with my own eyes. So that was always a dream that everybody's actually dreamed by then. But I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to come here to uh, pursue my graduate study. You mentioned in the book a very interesting term that we usually use in a different context, but you said that you had to get detoxed from the CCP indoctrination that you had. How did that happen, and how did your eyes get opened? It's little by little. It's very, very gradual. And because the indoctrination lasted my whole life, you know, growing up there, you don't know what you don't know, and you don't know what you know is wrong. And that, I have to say, that is the process of assimilation, which already being now totally destroyed by the uh, Democrats, because they say multiculture is the way. Your culture, everybody's culture is all equal. American culture, nothing special. It's all the same. But my process of learning and detox to what I learned from the uh, communist indoctrination is becoming, it's the process of becoming American. And to learn about what made this country special, why I want to come here, why there is a freedom. And uh, this is such an important process. Now it's not taught to the American kids, not to say to the immigrants. So the American kids are taught this country is uh, a racist country, a evil country that needs nothing but total destruction. And the immigrants were taught that their culture is just, they, they, the culture that, that they escaped is just as good as American culture. They're all the same. Multiculture is the uh, reason we built America. That is why we have such division. That is why we're in such trouble. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast continues with our guest, Jivan Fleet, in just a moment. Get your fix online at shillingshow.com. Shillingshowmedia.com is your one-stop shop for websites, audio and video production, and photography. Shillingshowmedia.com will take your project from conception to completion. Shillingshowmedia.com is reasonably priced and highly professional. Need a website for your business? Visit shillingshowmedia.com. Need a video created or edited? Visit shillingshowmedia.com. Have a photography or graphic design project? Visit shillingshowmedia.com. Shillingshowmedia.com is your one-stop shop for websites, audio and video production, and photography. Visit shillingshowmedia.com. That's shillingshowmedia.com. Looking out for us. Rob Schaub. The new book is Mao's America, A Survivor's Warning, and it is quite a story. The author is Yvan Fleet, who joins us here on the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. You had described in the book your first encounter with diversity and inclusion, and it was some years ago. This was at work. Tell us what happened and how your eyes were opened. Yeah, so I, I did not 
really give it much thought. It sounds pretty good. That's the problem mm-hmm. with uh, the uh, the Marxist and the leftist uh, indoctrination of propaganda. That all sounds great. Everything they say sounds great. Multiculture, yeah. At first, you know, you prob- we all remember. First is uh, different food, you know. I thought nothing more about it, and I participated. And not just at work, in my son's school, and, you know, multiculture. I went to the multicultural festivals and whatever. And eventually at work, there's uh, this coworker want to establish diversity and inclusion. Back then, it's diversity and inclusion council. And she asked me and said, we want to bring people together, you know, different background, different culture experience. So I said, sounds good. Yeah, sign me up. So, but eventually I realized the goal is really about not bringing people together, but divide people. So before we see each other as coworkers, now we see each other primarily as an individual, as a different identity, you know, ethnic identity, identity uh, based on gender, sexuality, and all the stuff. And then this person in charge brought in a lot of uh, material, like uh, um, videos and whatever from outside, and eventually brought someone to come to work and talk about microaggression. That was years ago. And I just feel like that sounds like cultural revolution. Whatever you say can be, even if just something like that, Oh, Chinese are good at math. Mm. It's a microaggression. I said, this is absolutely Chinese cultural revolution. So eventually I started to challenge what they're doing. And then I just left. Of course, later I realized that was something that's going on nationwide. So we should talk about the uh, the genesis of America's cultural revolution. Now that you've had some time to think about this and look back on our own history how and when did this begin from your perspective? Yeah, this is something that I have to do some research because, of course, I lived through the Chinese Cultural Revolution. Mm. But where is this idea that similar to what I experienced becomes so popular here? And that for that, I have to do some research. And my research, of course, took me back, way back in the past. And so in my book, I described um, in the 30s, and really, we can trace back the ancestor of American brand of cultural Marxism to the Frankfurt School from Germany. This group of Jewish Marxists came to America to escape Nazi prosecution, and they settled in the heart of American society. Columbia University, and that's where they started their work, and eventually, that's where we're today. And when I did the research, I was like, wow, this is amazing. When when we had our cultural revolution in China in the 60s and 70s, there is another cultural revolution in America taking place across the ocean, and that is counterculture. It's the same thing. It is absolutely the culture revolution to destroy the past, to destroy the tradition, and to destroy the social norms. And so, you know, freedom, freedom, free sex, free from anything, free from religion, free from uh, the tradition. And that was culture, counterculture was all about. A lot of people did not make that connection, but that 
is really the phase one of woke movement like today. And this is only phase two. So we're seeing this. Uh, it's playing out in real time in America, and yet many Americans are blind to it. Is there um, either tacit or obvious coordination from communist countries around the world, like the Chinese Communist Party? Are they actually uh, somehow meddling in internal American politics and culture, and we just don't know about it? I do think that this is important for people to understand that communism is globalism. And communism is never set satisfied of having carrying on and winning the revolution it's its own border it's always international you know the song we sang and uh, growing up is uh, uh, the international that is we as communists we want to liberate everybody in the world and when that happens we have communism before that it's only socialism so communism is globalism so they always want to bring, especially capitalism, down. So that they are prime target, of course, is the United States. But I have to say, the main player are the uh, communists, are uh, the American Marxists and American communists working within. And I think that's very, very important for people to realize and focus that, yes, CCP always play a role, and CCP always welcome here by the American communists. But the real, real enemy is the enemy within. And those are the American. We should talk about the term cultural Marxism, as you used just a few moments ago, because the left has taken a particular dislike to that term and trying to characterize it in certain ways. For the listening audience, tell us what cultural Marxism is. I know I, you can, we can now search, and I found it not too long ago. I uh, Googled cultural Marxism, and uh, what it said, it's a conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is important to understand what is cultural Marxism. Why just Marxism? Yes, Marxism, the original or the classic Marxism, is really advocates violent uprising to overthrow capitalism to overthrow the government, like a working class took to the arms and overthrow the government, which was uh, what happened in Russia. And that the same thing in China and in Cuba, it's a armed re, uh, uprising to overthrow a system. And it worked, it never worked as Marx, Karl Marx predicted in the most industrialized country like UK and Germany. It did not happen because capitalism improved the working, uh, the uh, living uh, condition of the uh, working class. And then they, their life has improved. No one was interested in joining the bloody revolution to overthrow capitalism, right? What they do, they're still this, this committed communist. They still want to overthrow um, capitalism. And then they figure out a better way. Rather than armed insur- uh, insurrection, they use what's called cultural Marxism, articulated by the uh, communist, by the Italian communist uh, Antonio Gramsci. He says, you go and change the dominant culture that's called hegemony, and then take over the institution. And that's how you take over and then 
destroy capitalism. And then they come up with this uh, uh, phrase, long march through institutions. So that has been going on since the 30s. So little by little, they took over the university. They trained generations of Marxists. And all those people are now in control of our institutions. That's why we are in such a dire situation today. Look around. There's no institution that hasn't fallen. And it, it, it includes media, of course, corporations, churches, government, political parties, and our military. How do you know? Just check whether they have DEI office. They all have DEI office in their institutions. There was something very curious that I noted in your book, and it was comment on the erasure of femininity and how when you were growing up, there were looks that were approved for women, just two or three styles, and they were all kind of unisex. Tell us about how that translates to today's America. Is there an erasure of femininity, and uh, what is the goal there? I think that is really um, their effort to destroy the social norms the norms that had lasted for thousands of years. So it's just uh, manifest differently. So in Mao's China, he wanted everyone look the same. So it's like a uh, genderless society by defeminized women. So women all look like men. And that's exactly what happened. Like growing up, everyone wore the same clothes. We have uh, limited hairstyle choices and we are encouraged to think like men, that we are just the same as men. We are better than men. We can hold half the sky, like uh, Biden quoted Mao, that women can, have, can hold half the sky. So same thing here, but it's different. Different in such a way they want to erase gender differences by creating endless gender. So now we have like hundreds of gender. And the end result is the same, is to really erase gender. Yeah, the social norm. Given all of this information, and, and we've covered so much, and yet there's so much that we didn't have time to talk about, G. but what is the hope for America? Is it too late for America? And if there was a plan that we could put into play, what would we do? Yeah, this is a million-dollar question. What yeah. do we do? Yeah, I have to say that uh, as conservatives, we have been asleep. We have been asleep when all this was going on in the past decades. And what woke us up? I think it's since 2016, especially 2020. The left had turned the heat too high, too fast. We, as the boiling frog, realized that we are boiling alive. So now we started to react. So we just started to react. We just started to push back. So things look really bad. That's true. I have uh, denied that. But we just started to fight back. And I think we have to win and we will win just looking around. People like me who was never involved politically and are now uh, involved and fighting back. Um, and, uh, and all the parents I met, I, I go around the country and talk to so many people and so many parents. They are just like me. Like three or four years ago, they were asleep. They did not do anything and they thought everything was fine. But now we're waking up. So while the left awoke, the conservatives 
are weakened up or are weak. So we have to fight back. It's not uh, even a question whether we're going to win. We have to win. We must win. Jean Van Fleet, if people would like to get a copy of your book, Mao's America, A Survivor's Warning, or if they'd like to follow you online, would you tell us how we can do those things? Yes, it's, um, um, they can get my book anywhere books are sold. And of course, Amazon is, uh, is uh, probably the place most people go. I just urge uh, your listener, uh, when you uh, get the book from uh, Amazon, please leave uh, a review and that will help the ranking of my book and help to spread the message. And I am very, very active in Twitter or X. I tweet every day and I tweet the same thing, parallels of the two cultural revolutions. So follow me on, uh, on X. It's uh, X-V-A-N-F-L-E-E-T, X Van Fleet. Uh, and I hope you do that. Steve Van Fleet, you've done such important work in this book and told a story from your own personal point of view that really affects the nation. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Thank you so much for having me. That concludes another edition of the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time.